Hello and welcome to the Pondering Theologian podcast. I am the host, Nathaniel. In today's episode, I want to look at and examine a parable, specifically the parable of the ten brides or the parable of the ten virgins. For those that are unfamiliar, a parable is a story given as an illustration uh, of some form, or in some form, uh, to illustrate something that Jesus Jesus was teaching. Uh, In today's episode, I'm going to give you a little more research into the world of this scripture, because I am of the position that the Bible is often misused in today's age, and that sometimes when a message is given about a particular scripture, uh, it is there's not enough research given or not enough contemplation on that verse is given. For those of us that preach regularly, there is a process called hermeneutics um, and then exegesis, um, where one examines a text or multiple texts through a process to under try to understand the meaning of that scripture and then the way of explaining that scripture and what it means in today's day and age. Uh, There are different methods to hermeneutics um, and exegesis. Um, There are simple, short processes uh, to multiple weeks spent on a single passage. I am of the camp that a faithful process hermeneutical process, uh, is, uh, the faithful amount of time that should be dedicated to the scripture takes place over at least several days, um, but about a week is about how much time I spend in contemplation, I um, mean, in, in study, uh, because there are multiple contexts for scripture. Um, one such thing to 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 consider um, is the saying scripture by scripture or interpreting scripture by scripture. Um, Some may have heard it. It's used often in uh, in seminary and amongst um, different people in the pastoral role uh, in in academia because there is a lot of scripture overlap or a lot of scripture that influences scripture throughout the Bible. Uh, for example, the book of Revelation, highly misunderstood book, but in general, there is more references to the Old Testament and Revelation than anywhere else in the New Testament. Um, for example, I'm looking at 11 verses that I've been studying for just my own little passion project and I continually keep coming up with sections of the Old Testament that it's referring to and I'm talking multiple books, multiple chapters just in 11 verses uh, or that it is needed to understand the context for these 11 verses as across most of the Old Testament and some of the New Testament. So the, the process to understand scripture faithfully um, is a timely process and that's why people talk about reading your Bible your whole life to learn and you will learn more consistently Um, and we certainly can look more into this process another time in another episode 
Uh, for, days, for today's scriptures, though, I will share with you just some of the background behind the parable to give you an idea why it is useful to become more familiar with a scripture or the context in which the scripture was written um, beyond just reading it and then trying to ascribe it to our world and day and age as quickly as possible. So let us start with reading the scriptures that episode, uh, this episode is based on. Uh, there are three, though I'm only going to read two of them to you. Um, you can pause uh, and read the other one, or right after this episode, I encourage you to read it, because I will um, refer to it towards the end. Um, the scriptures are Joshua chapter 4, uh, 24. Verses 1 through 3 and then 14 through 25. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and then Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And I'm going to start with reading Joshua and then Matthew. So let me pull that back up here. I did that thing where I tried to close out all my extra tabs and then I had gotten rid of the tab I needed. Alright, Joshua. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah, and, the son, and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offsprings many. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve the Lord in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight. God protected us along the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for God is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for God is a holy God. God is jealous. God God will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then God will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to them, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve the Lord. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and God we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. 
And then Matthew. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. Then the foolish took their lamps. They took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. The wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open us, uh, open up to us. But he replied, Truly I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. <clears throat> so before we dig into our verse, uh, like I said, I think some context is needed. In biblical times, leading up to a marriage, the process could be a multi-year preparation. I'm sure most of us are familiar with dowries and the politics of joining families and nations that were common in ancient cultures. If you're not, then I definitely recommend doing a, a quick Google or Wikipedia search of ancient marriage rituals to get a better idea of the process in the ancient world. In the Jewish culture, there are three distinct parts of the joining of two people in the Old Testament world. Um, well, let's, let's say the, the old world. Um, but first is a mutual commitment, or what would be called the wedding contract. This is more or less working out the logistics and legal matters, what is being uh, offered the family, what provisions will, will be made for the wife, um, uh, in the case of the husband's death, and what will be done to take care of her if there is a divorce, such as a penalty the groom would pay to the bride and her family. This contract laid out what the terms of the union were to be. Uh, the second distinct part is the engagement period, uh, during which the couple would actually be considered married, though they did not live together nor engage in any sexual relations. Uh, this separation time is one where the groom prepares a home for the new union and the bride prepares herself. This would have been the time frame in which Joseph and Mary, for instance, were uh, in at the beginning of uh, the birth story in the Gospels. It also references many things, uh, or, or happens to be referred to a few times in things that Jesus said in his ministry. Uh, for example, in John chapter 14, it says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may be where I am. Uh, which is very much uh, akin to this engagement period. And then finally, the, the third part was the actual marriage. Uh, the date, however, was not a cut and dry thing like many of our modern day weddings. The engagement period leading up to uh, the wedding was usually about a year, though the actual date of the wedding 
generally was not known because the father of the bride had to sign off that the groom had adequately done his part to prepare a home for the bride and for the wedding to be held. Once the blessing was given, then the son was sent to gather the bride for the wedding. Immediately he would gather his wedding party and go to get her. In biblical times, it would have been customary for the bridegroom to come at night. Now, for some of you, I'm sure you're thinking about the logistics of no one knowing about a wedding, then it being sprung into action, not only the last minute, but also at night. Um, weddings were five to seven days uh, in general at those times. Uh, the first night was just to gather the wedding party and to get them to the bridegroom's home, which was now prepared for the ceremony. So the rest of the village and the family would have had ample time to come and the officiation taken care of in the following days. Um, but back to this surprise nighttime wedding, this whole process would have kept the bride on her toes, ready at every hour for the trumpet sounding the coming of the groom. The bride would have been expected to have her, her wedding party, uh, her wedding garments, and the like ready so that when she heard the trumpet blast um, to announce the coming of the groom, she could be ready. Part of this would be making sure her lamp was full of oil and that the bridesmaids were ready and had a lamp to light as well. And when the trumpet would have sounded, the bridesmaids would have gone out with their lamps and lit the path for the oncoming groom, kind of like a runway, directing him to the bride. Now, the parable of the ten uh, bridesmaids has long been used, um, as long as I can remember anyway, to illustrate the importance of staying alert, keeping watch, not falling asleep, and being sure you are right with God, but more from a point of fear. Fear that Jesus is coming soon. Fear that he might catch you asleep. Um, I would advocate, dear children of God, that this parable has a lot to teach us aside from fear. Um, God wants us to make the decision to join God in love. Uh, they don't want us to come out of fear, uh, fear of missing out on salvation. Um, God... God offers salvation in general through the, the act and birth and uh, life and death of Jesus Christ. And in our First Testament reading uh, today, Joshua talks a little bit differently, um, saying, Now fear the Lord and serve them with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the river, uh, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Here God wants us to make a commitment, make a decision, much like the mutual commitment and marriage contract of ancient times. God has come to the table with a contract, essentially, of sorts, laying out everything for us. God offers salvation and forgiveness. Um, we are in a, um, a state of sin. We ask God for forgiveness and we accept Jesus as our Savior. 
there really are simple terms. Joshua says you need to decide here and now, not tomorrow, not a year from now. You need to decide for yourself this day. Um, In Revelation chapter 3, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Or I'm about to expel you from my presence. Um, Which is again, sometimes used to try to fear and guilt people into making decision. But really, what it's trying to say is make up your mind. Make a decision. We've all had that friend or family member that, or someone that we know that cannot seem to decide if they actually like us and treat us, you know, not so nice one day or different the next. At some point, you get tired of the indecision. You know, do they like me or not? Uh, Some of us will go off on those people or just break off that relationship. God just wants us to make a decision. Decide if we want to join in the love and salvation God is offering. You know, essentially accepting that marriage contract. Again, uh, once we have decided to join together with God, through Jesus, the terms of this contract are simple. Once you've done your part and accepted Jesus, uh, we strive to sin no more. We're ready. Um, we try to stay in that state of awareness of what we are doing and trying to avoid sinful things um, and stay committed to God. Just like a marriage or a civil union or a partnership, God wants dedication. Um, in verse 19 of the reading in Joshua, uh, it says, God is jealous. God calls to us, love me. I love you. I offer salvation. I am preparing a place for you. I'm building a house for you. I'm building eternity for you. I just want dedication. Once we have decided to choose God, we must do our part to stay committed, just like any relationship. Um, we need to find find that connection in our mind. Um, something that seems to be a difficult aspect of our nature as humans across history, it, it's commitment. And the thing with this relationship is that we absolutely do not know what tomorrow will bring. We know none of us, no matter what state we think we are in physically, uh, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know, unlike with your family and loved ones where you have an idea how to predict their actions, uh, we cannot predict when Jesus will come again. Just like this, the trumpet that sounded to let the uh, bridesmaids know that the bridegroom was coming, just like an ancient wedding, uh, a trumpet will sound and those that are ready will be whisked away to the banquet halls of heaven to celebrate before the Lord. And in the reading from First Thessalonians, um, when you read it, it is meant to bring joy. And it even says, when you read it, therefore encourage one another with these words. And this is a section of scripture to show us what that day will look like as Jesus arrives on the sounding of a trumpet and takes away those who are asleep and the remaining who believed. However, Jesus, just uh, uh, 
just as Jesus tells us in this parable, those that were not ready, who were not prepared, who were not committed, they will not be there when the bridegrooms arrive. A bridegroom arrives. They will not be taken into the banquet halls. Heaven will not be open to them. Like the five foolish bridemaids, those who did not decide today and prepare will want to decide then and want to come in. And surely it says, I do not know you because you did not commit. Um, the wedding in ancient times and today is an ex exciting part. The preparation can be tedious and stressful, uh, amplified, especially when you do not know when the time is coming. The wedding, the surprise part, the celebration, and the starting of the rest of your life is the thing we strive for. So children of God, are you ready? Have you taken this offering of salvation and life eternal, uh, this contract, if you will, and and chosen it, have agreed to it. Uh, if you have, I hope that you are steadfast. I assure you it will not be easy, but the reward of that trumpet sounding and you being swept into the arms of the Savior will be worth it. For those that haven't decided, I implore you to consider it today. Consider to make a decision. If you have any questions or concerns about the whole thing, reach out to uh, someone who is uh, a pastor that you can trust or a chaplain or you can email me or reach out to me over on Instagram at Pondering Theologian Podcast. Um, you know, if you're uncertain, you know, do some research, ask some questions. People like myself would be happy to work through that with you. Um, and if you have committed, I encourage you to examine your commitment today. Make sure that you are actually prepared for that trumpet call. I think we're going to end it there, as usual. There's always more to say, more to examine, but we'll call it there. And I'd love to hear from you, hear your thoughts. Like I said, if you have questions, reach out to me. You can email me, ponderingtheologian at gmail.com, or go over to uh, Instagram, at Pondering Theologian Podcast and interact with me there. I hope you are having a good day. Know that God loves you no matter what, and there's nothing that you can do about that. And have a good day. We'll see you in the next episode.